Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today we're going to be talking about Calvinism and atheism as we look at an interview with Shannon Q and Cy Tim Bruggenkate, uh, where they talk about Calvinism and atheism. Stick with us. This is the first word. YouTube is a wonderful thing. I really appreciate YouTube as a content creator. I love the fact that I don't have to convince some radio station or television network to air my thoughts in order to get the gospel message out there and clear thinking on philosophical issues. I love that I can uh, make response videos to atheists, and there are uh, things built into the structure of how we view content that I'm able to actually play clips as long as I'm talking about those clips. It's a wonderful thing, and YouTube has provided a lot of good in that regard. And on top of that, it's even made a way for us to make money. I really do appreciate that, because beggars can't be choosers. And now, if you have the certain number of subscribers and you have the right amount of views, you can make a little money through what would otherwise perhaps be a penniless hobby. However, the monetization thing is a little interesting, and it can shape a culture by determining what you can and can't talk about. That's why we encourage you to check out the website, BraxtonHunter.com or TrinityRadio.org, so that you can get unfiltered thoughts on things that need to be discussed because they have major moral and societal implications. However, occasionally we do talk about things like the the fact that it is objectively wrong to... That is objectively wrong to engage in. That uh, we don't think that people should. Because uh, uh, is a grievous sin that works against what the, what God wants for human beings. Uh, we'd love to be able to talk about those things without doing what we're doing right now. And, and when I reference something like, um, I don't have to do what I just did. Nevertheless. You know what we're saying. And if you don't, visit us at trinityradio.org. The fact is, YouTube is a wonderful place, and we appreciate the benefits that it affords. But don't singularly view YouTube as your uh, go-to place for uh, thought and opinion, because there's a lot that needs to be said that can't always be clearly said on this platform. And now, today's talk. And we're back. And today's episode is in honor of our good friend and viewer and listener, uh, Miguel Benitez, who you went to school with, who loves it when we talk about Calvinism. And so we thought... Those are his favorite episodes. We haven't thrown Miguel a bone in a while, so Miguel, (laughs) this one's for you. Absolutely, brother. And I do want to give uh, give a shout out to to Alex, who made a comment on our last video. He said there's a stark contrast from season nine to now uh, with me. Yeah, and, and so I want to. Uh, I appreciate it. There is the difference is I got some new glasses, so I uh, thank you for noticing. Very few people notice that. You really do pull off the Superman thing yeah. really well, Clark Kent Superman. Yeah, I, I mean, when you take those glasses off, it's season eight, Fat Jonathan again. <laughs> when you put them on, it's this thin. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, you have lost a lot of weight, and yes. we do applaud you for that. And it's inspiring to me because there's also he wasn't a stark, talking about the glasses. Th- there's yeah. also a stark contrast between season eight, Braxton Hunter, and this current yeah. version of Braxton Hunter. And that stark contrast is in the other direction. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, we're glad you're with us. You now carry today. it well, my friend. You carry it. Well. I do carry it better than a lot of people, but yeah. but still, not I good. don't. And that's why we had this box for this box. Now is here because it's always been here. But I did not like the fact that um, 
I would be sitting this far away from the table, but I could still touch the table with my belly. If so. you want to see, if you want to see <laughs> yeah. what uh, what a good example of what we're talking about, the best I've seen, and I'm not just saying that; it really is the best example I've seen. Is if you become a patron, yeah, <laughs> the thank you video that you get sent is Skinny Braxton and Fat Jonathan. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I don't flip flop. I don't even look like that guy. <laughs> you you, t- you show me that video, I was like, you're like a different. A totally different human person. being. Yeah. yeah. All right. So today we're talking about Shannon Q and Side Tim Brunkate. For those that don't know, Shannon Q is uh, an atheist. I put her in the category of an activist atheist. Or um, she puts herself in the category. Yeah, she calls herself that's that too. Right there on her video. Uh, but also, yeah. um, we have uh, Cy, she's an atheist with a with a, a popular channel. And Cy Tim Brugenkate is a very popular presuppositionalist apologist. We have one thing in common. We both debated Matt Dillahunty, and I'm probably uh, one of the few people uh, that I've seen publicly say that I that's not a presuppositionalist that thinks that Cy won that debate. Now, I, I disagree with tone and attitude and no, all see, those I things. thought I've said this before. You're I, the other way. Yeah, I thought that his <laughs> opening statement where he just trolled him was entertaining. Uh, it was definitely but entertaining. He was, I didn't think he did all that. Not Braxton anything. Hunter style. Yeah. But. I don't think he did anything after that. But that that was thoroughly entertaining. So if you, if you want entertainment, that was great. But yeah. as far as like uh, intellectual rigor and good arguments, no, nah, the, yeah. the rest of it was just kind of... Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I think he brought out a very important epistemological you point. You mean we have we'll a disagreement? To, well, yeah. I, I think that, that uh, having mm-hmm. being able to ground your epistemology is pretty important. This is a sympathy I have with presuppositionalists. Uh, that's my sympathy with it as well. Mm-hmm. It's one... But, but that's what he hammered on throughout the entirety right, of that debate. and that's where I think that... Uh, well, that and he's, he doesn't want to have Bible studies with anybody. But Yeah, know. now that that I have a problem right. with. Yeah. You're called to defend the faith yeah. uh, and to be ready and willing always to do that. So anyway, uh, let's get on topic. And, and so, share it, too. So yeah. let me just say, Shannon Q has been very uh, friendly and kind and trustworthy. She has uh, you know, taught me how to use Twitter properly. <laughs> and she has kept uh, guarantees and promises she's made to me about how we're going to handle certain, you know, the interview and things like that. So I really appreciate you, yeah, Shannon. I yeah, know you're going to see but, this. But also, we're not surprised that, you know, she's a nice person. That doesn't surprise yeah. us. Um, Most people have a nice side to them. Yes. But Shannon Q is genuinely okay, nice. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, not most people. I mean, most atheists who host programs do. Uh, but even Matt Dillahunty has admitted, yeah, the... The, the peanut gallery in the in the comment section, you forget it. You know? Yeah, so and I could say that goes for a lot of. Christians but o- too, obviously, so. Shannon Q and I and us have some fundamental differences about the most important questions Absolutely. that exist. Yeah. And so uh, I actually told her, I said, "Hey, I think I'm going to do. We're going to do an episode that focuses on some of what you said." I said, "How do you feel about that?" And she said, uh, "Knock yourself out or something." Like that. Yeah. So so she knows that way. I, I, I want to be cool about that. So. Uh, but anyway, and then Cy, I, I, I don't dislike Cy. In fact, I've, I've learned to appreciate certain aspects of Cy's style, even though I really am not a presuppositionalist at all. See, so. I, again, I like... You I like his like, style, you don't like... The, you like no, the presuppositionalism, you don't like the no, way he does I, it. I li- no, I, I loved his opening statement in that debate because yeah. it was entertaining. Yeah. And I think there is a place for that, mm-hmm. you know? Especially because... Uh, that that's a perfect. I just didn't think he did well after that. He didn't keep that level up, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do agree. I've said uh, on a lot of shows that I'm probably more sympathetic to presuppositional as you, exactly for that exposing the borrowed capital and the empty foundations of other worldviews. Yeah. And that, and that yeah, it's great. But 
but I, and I do like his style, and it, I think that worked for his debate with Matt and the debates that he has where it's not like a professional theologian versus a professional philosopher or mm-hmm, anything like mm-hmm. that. So I thought that for it's that... It's entertaining. Yeah, for the, but that's all debates are now. So another thing I want to say about Shannon Q is that Shannon, uh, when I was on her show, I got the best descriptor of myself that I've ever heard so far. Well, second best is someone in the in the either on Twitter or in the channel uh, said that um, uh, who is this guy? He looks like a Tim Burton character, like from Sweeney Todd or something. Yeah. And I, I I I loved that. I think they might have meant that as an insult. But as a person who grew up on Tim Burton, I thought that was fantastic, yeah, and I screen captured it and shared it around. Uh, but the, the the first, the best one, John Dunphy called in, and he referenced on the same show uh, where some UK blogger who I don't even know and don't even know his name uh, I should I should know his name, but anyway, he he said that he had found our channel and really liked it, and he said that Braxton uh, looks like a young Jason Statham and a cooler William Lane Craig. So now I, neither one of those things are true, but. That's my favorite. Like, I've got statements from Mike Lycona and Donald J. Johnson and a lot of other people, and none of them compare when, to when, that one. Well, but when, you're, when, you, when your beard is not quite that full mm-hmm. and you've let your hair have more stubble, you, it's kind of like that. But when I first met... It's more like a doughy Matt Lauer. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's get right into it. And first, we're going to hear from Cy talking with Shannon about... Specifically, Calvinism. So let's check it out. But right. that's not so, more so what interested me. What interested me was saying that God is. So essentially, what that meant to me, and this is my understanding of it, is that God would be the one to decide who is compelled. Then, in that case, because if if you can't be compelled by any external perceptions at all, so that includes people, things that you see, things that you've learned. If none of that can compel you, then well, you, the choice isn't yours. You don't have any free will in the situation, which means that God would decide who believes in him and who doesn't. Well, first of all, um, free will is not a biblical doctrine. A lot of Christians get that yeah. wrong. You make it a lot of people in the chat room. You know, free will is simply not in the Bible. And when people ask that question, I dump a whole bunch of different verses. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. The dead cannot choose life. So, um, you know, people have that simply mixed up. So our position, I would say the biblical position is, is that our wills are not free. Our wills are in bondage to our natures. For example, I have the nature of a man. So I am free to get up and walk according to my nature. That's my nature. But I'm not, I don't, I'm not free to, free to flap my arms and fly away because I do not have the nature of a bird. Right. So. But as, you're asking people to choose something that's within that, like you, you're incapable of flying. So right. well, people are capable of changing their mind and believing in God. So the analogy doesn't really no, no, no. Well, well you didn't let me wash to me, right? <laughs> you didn't let me finish. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. so according to the Bible, we're dead in their transgression and sins. The dead people cannot choose life, but we're responsible for our deadness. But God, in His glory, in in His divine will, chooses whom He brings back to life or brings to life, such that they freely choose Him. Now, I understand that. Unbelievers are not going to accept that. They will not accept that God can plan our free choices such that they remain free. I, I get that. I understand that, that that's not something that they'll agree with. However, that's clearly in Scripture. And one of the examples that I give is uh, the example of Judas. And I, I ask people, what, what is conceivably the worst sin in the history of man? And I would say that it's the betrayal of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, by Judas. 
I mean, that I, I arguably be arguably the worst sin in history. Now, the question is, did God plan that Judas do it? And the answer right. for that, we can only know that in Scripture, Acts 2.23. It will go according to his plan and foreknowledge that will be handed over by wicked men. So God planned that he would do it. Now, what follows there is, well, then clearly Judas is not responsible because right. God planned that Judas would do it. Well, how do we know if Judas was responsible or not? Matthew 26.24. It will go as it has been written. It has to happen. It will go as it has been written. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better if he had not been born. So he was responsible. Responsibility implies free choice. So on one hand, we have that God planned it. And on the other hand, we had that Judas chose to do it according to his fallen nature. All right, so Jonathan, uh, there's several things that were mentioned here. Free will that is not in the Bible, as he says, is just not a biblical doctrine. It's not Christianity. Uh, these presuppositions, I love how they bit. The Christianity does not teach free will. Yeah. It's like, as if, let's take Calvin. I mean, I get it. That's your view, but like hugging all of Christianity. Yeah, if you, take, if you take Calvinism, which is a minority stream of late Western theological European thought, okay, among Christians, and you take a small portion of Catholics, uh, not a large one, a small portion. That's the total sum of determinists yeah. in the history of the church. Yeah. So, um, and I know that people sometimes want to talk about compatibilism. That would be an anachronistic term for the ancient world. Yeah. So you, let's you, go you've ahead. Got, you've, you've got fatalism and necessity, and you've got contingency and free will. And by free will, I think Swinburne and others have demonstrated they meant libertarian free will. Right. So, so I mean that th those are you don't. Which are throwing out a lot of terms. Yeah, but but and, and a lot of people get upset about it. But um, you, we don't we want to avoid anachronism, and that's the language they used. And no, uh, fatalism is not a pagan word. Uh, monotheists, from Jews to Christians, discussing monotheism have used that term. Mm -hmm. It's not a pagan term. It's mm -hmm. a Greek word, and they've been yeah. using it in Greek. So don't so, don't, don't don't always assume that. It, well. So saying, so for example, William Lane Craig did a book. Uh, don't make that face. <laughs> William Lane Craig's book. Well, you're using a lot of terms, and no, I want our audience to be able to follow. Our it. audience can follow it. Uh, William Lane Craig, in his in that four views on divine foreknowledge, he never even called them compatibilists or determinists. He referred to the other people, his interlocutors in the book that were Calvinists. I think there was two. One was high Calvinist. One was low Calvinist. Mm -hmm. He called them fatalists, and a lot of people whined about it. But I mean, yeah, that's totally appropriate. Anyway, fatalism is the idea that, and if you want to put the word theistic in front of it to make you feel better, fine. Fatalism is the idea that it doesn't matter what you do; it's all fated to happen, no matter what. Yeah, right. yeah, and and determinism, uh, simply put, is what you probably think of when you hear no free will, which is you experience your choices as though they're free, but they're not. Compatibilism is the idea that determinism is true. But you have freedom within your parameters, like Cy was saying. I have a man nature, so I'm free to do whatever a man is free to do. Yes, but that's but, still a problem with that too, because no matter what you do, it has been because he's a theistic determinist. No matter mm -hmm. what you God do, determined that you it think indirectly. That you were free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, I mean, you can't even. Say. No, I'm, I'm honoring the West, the Westminster Confession. He did it indirectly in that he determined everything about you and around you such that you will do freely yeah. whatever Edwards it is. Edwards and Luther would. Yeah. But, yeah. but the thing about it is, so that's compatible. Compatibilism is you're free to do within your nature. But the thing is, since they also affirm determinist, the knowledgeable and high-minded compatibilists will grant that, yeah, I mean, you, 
you literally couldn't have they'll, they'll do categorical versus yeah. condition but but you really there's no state of affairs where you did different than whatever you ended up doing yeah you did what you were determined to do but it felt free and you're free in that sense right and the idea that free will is not in the bible is but libertarian freedom is the free yeah. will that you're used to thinking about right where you could have done other than whatever you ended up doing and nothing external to you determine and or nothing external to you determined your actions the idea that it is not in the bible is has as much merit as saying determinism is in is in the Bible. Right. Determinism is nowhere in the Bible. Uh, do people? But like, wait a minute, Jonathan. The Bible teaches that God determines things. The Bible teaches that a lot of people determine things too. I determine things all day long. I determine to have uh, soda in my cup. That doesn't make philosophical determinism true. What it does mean is that you've committed an equivocation fallacy. So just because the word determine, whether God's the subject or a human's the subject or whatever, it doesn't make philosophical determinism as a way of, of understanding providence and human volition within it, it doesn't make it true. It's not determinism qua determinism. Yeah, now we can make inferences. I've never found a reason to, in, to infer that determinism is true, even when God does all kinds of things. Yeah, God's acting on libertarian creatures, and he's not... He's not uh, He's not violating their will. He's breaking their wills is what he's doing. Yeah, and this yeah. is precisely yeah. the point with what uh, Cy Tim Brugenkate ha- has said here. He says, you won't find anywhere in the Bible where this... Okay, well, do we want to play the game where the Trinity is not verbatim stated as a doctrine in the Bible? Right. No, but th- that's what everybody throws. The point is, you you can look at Scripture and, and it implies strongly things. He thinks it implies strongly determinism. If he thinks it outright says it, it's only because of an equivocation between the antiquated yeah. or the anachronistic use of a philosophical term into ancient literature exactly. about people deciding to do And things. by the way, but, and even words like predestined and foreknow yeah, have no yeah, bearing yeah, yeah. on human volition yeah. so, either. Right. So the, the thing about it is the bio, you can get things by implication. And, and I'll give you a great example of an example where I think this is true. I always like to go to Genesis 4 with the story of Cain and Abel. You know the story, Cain and Abel, uh, these first two brothers, uh, they both offer sacrifices. Cain's sacrifice is inappropriate and not uh, accepted. And uh, after that, but before he kills Abel, spoiler alert, uh, as literally the one of the yeah, oldest stories. Like, <laughs> it was like when Robert Geiler... Uh, posted on Facebook after you know he had just reread uh, the Iliad. And he's like, "Spoiler alert: Hector dies." Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. well, I mean, I think the spoiler ban's been lifted <laughs> on right. on Genesis four. <laughs> yeah, right. But so anyway, uh, but before he kills Abel, uh, God comes to him, and here, here's what it says. It says. Uh, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, so if let's imagine this on the determinist framework and then on the libertarian real free will framework. Yeah, and, and even d- by saying determinist, that includes compatibilism. Because right, compatibilism it, is determinist. So on, that, on, on, on the determinist framework, God knows that he has determined Cain to kill Abel, directly or indirectly. Yeah, doesn't just know that, that, doesn't just know it, but like you said, point out, know in his foreknowledge but yet also determined that also it determined happen. that yeah. it will happen and will not be and cannot be otherwise. That's right. All right, and so so that's going to happen. So then imagine what how knowing that and God says to Cain, "Why are you upset? 
Can't, can't you, can't you, you can do well. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, I actually messed up there. He doesn't actually say you can do well. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Yeah. And I've actually heard Calvinists say, well, see there, it doesn't act, he doesn't actually tell Cain that he can do well. Just says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? As if anyone in the history of humanity would not read that and get that God is telling him, you can do better, do better. Yeah, right. Now, Either way, you want to take that. At best, God is deceiving Cain. Yes. And I don't believe my God's a deceiver. Yeah. At worst, God is flat out lying to Cain. But in either case, is that consistent with the nature of God? Well, this is why I said in the last episode, though, of course, you know, I don't want to talk to you about if we disagree on a Bible verse. I don't want to talk to you about the Bible. The Bible begs all questions because before you've read a single sentence of the Bible, you have theological and philosophical and metaphysical underlying assumptions and presuppositions and commitments. That, and commitments that that blur and filter the way you read. So there's no point in you reading the Bible. There's no point in me reading the Bible. We need to unpack all of those underlying assumptions and presuppositions and philosophical and theological ideas that you have that you've brought to the sentence before you've read it. So uh, Right, and that's what we're doing now. So, and, I'm, and I want to know where uh, in the, the time that um, Genesis 4 was written that there's a hermeneutics manual that says when you read Genesis 4, you need to realize that uh, this is how that works metaphysically and don't be thinking that you know yeah. he actually has a choice because you need to read and the And then Bible we do the Islam way. thing where yeah. God's a deceiver, but he's not, but it's yeah. okay. I don't, don't, I don't want a book it. written in the last hundred years on that. I want <laughs> right. a book written contemporaneous to the time that Genesis 4 was written. And unless until you produce that, we have no reason to believe any, any of that stuff that... You just mentioned that they try to say. Right. No reason, reason, so now reason let's imagine the story on the real free will framework. Yeah. God shows up and says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Sin is crouching at the door. Obviously a warning here. Uh, on the libertarian free will framework, God's God's telling him that because he can do better. Yeah. And, he, and sin is crouching and he can avoid this. Yeah. Right? All of that makes sense. It just sings if free will is true. But yeah. if determinism is true, it's all a charade and it's a deception. Yeah. So, so does the Bible teach libertarian free will? Not directly, but indirectly, it's strongly implied. Yeah, all throughout. And guess what? Philosophical determinism and all the mess that comes with that is nowhere inferred in any passage, and I've read the Bible cover to cover. That's right. Uh, now, if you want to dump that on there, that's fine, and then you get all the, the different problems. But the words like God is sovereign doesn't mean determinism is true. The word that right. God gives grace doesn't mean determinism is true. Right. And this is the problem when uh, our Calvinist friends, far too many of them, no offense, and I know that this sounds like you're just painting with a broad brush, but it, when, again and again, maybe we need to go have somebody pull up all, all the clips, but it's uh, philosophy, and you hear all this philosophy and philosophy. So on the one hand, they're poo-pooing philosophy, and on the other hand, they're doing such poor philosophy of their own, and they don't recognize it because their rhetoric is poo-poo philosophy while they're doing all of this philosophy and right. metaphysics. And I'm sorry... Which is true of anyone who poo-poo's philosophy. Right, yeah. So I, and, I, and I'm sorry, guys, but you have to you actually have to prove your, your philosophical metaphysics, and of course, going to Bible verses begs all questions anyway. The Bible is throughout a story of choice, and the Calvinists will agree because they use this definition of compatibilism, which allows for determinism and the language of real free choice. But just as we've just shown in the story of Cain and Abel, I could do that again with multiple texts throughout the Bible because throughout it's a story of choice. Like, do this and I'll bless you. Yeah, do but the that, Bible says, God you. says... Choose life that you may live, you and your descendants. Right, but the Bible also says, I declare the end from the beginning, so therefore no free will. 
Yes, I mean, besides a non-sequitur. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's the problems... Go listen to our debates to get answers to specific texts. Yeah, but the, 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 the problem with determinism that libertarian free will does not have, despite the complaints about it, is that determinism makes a bigger mess of all the texts that you can infer free will then free will makes a mess of all the attacks that they say d- demand determinism. Mm-hmm. And I've never been convinced otherwise. I'm with you, man. Yeah. Oh, but I did want to say this. I'm actually f- using my free will to fly right now. Because the lack of a nature to be able to fly doesn't mean that I don't have the capacity to freely will it undetermined. That's right. You do have free will to fly, even if you can't deliver on it. Right. So this idea that I don't have the free will to fly, that, that analogy has never been a good one, guys. Okay. Stop using it. First of all, he makes the false assumption that Ephesians 2 teaches that if you're dead, and of course that's a metaphorical use of the word dead, that you can't choose things, that therefore you don't have free will. That doesn't follow because... Th- is talking about a condition of a of a sinner versus talking about the anthropology of being volitional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we agree that you're dead and you're trespassing. What does that mean? Well, in context, um, there's a episode where Leighton Flowers goes through a document that I produced for him. In context, the dead metaphor, um, and I explained this, or at least I attempted to explain this to our friends uh, at Reforming American Ministries when we debated them. If you go through the text of Ephesians 2, it's talking about being far off, being separated. You know, uh, death itself, in its metaphorical sense in the Bible, is also separation, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a foundation for that. And so all of these terms, separate, made alive, uh, you know, dead, made alive, uh, separate, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, all that far off, and then brought near, you know, it's all that, it's a contrast. And Paul's using different metaphors to talk about how Gentiles were once over here and then now they're folded in. And so death is not trying to say being dead in your trespasses and sins means all kinds of metaphysics. Yeah, I mean, it's even there it's, in the garden when, yeah. he, when you, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Whatever else you want to say about mm-hmm. that, and that's a lively discussion, is they, they were expelled from the garden where the tree of life was, right. and they were literally separated from the tree of life, and there's an angel with a sword and the whole right. bit, right? And <laughs> just like James says, you know, the body without the spirit, you know, the separation, separation of the body and the yeah. spirit is dead, yeah. you know. Uh, that's the basis for the metaphorical, because that's a that, that's right. And it's always physical, shocking. It's yeah. always surprising to me that Calvinists talk about what can a dead man do? Like a dead man can't do anything, right? And they use Lazarus, even though the Bible doesn't make that connection. Yeah, they, they use Lazarus as an example where they'll say they'll say, um, what can a dead man do? A dead man can't do anything. So how could he ever choose to? And I'm thinking, well, well Ephesians he, two actually answers that question too, because the dead man lives and the dead man walks. Right. You know? He so, lives. He walks. He does. Uh, moral things, Calvinists will say, he can do some moral things. They're just not. Uh, they're just not meritorious. He can do spiritual things, just only bad spiritual things. So, really, we need to turn this around and say, what can't a dead man in that sense do? According to the Calvinists, if I take everything that Calvinists say on this, the only thing that a dead man can't do is the one thing he was commanded to do. Right. He, that is so he bizarre. Can, he cannot respond to the Holy Spirit. At all, unless the Holy Spirit, not just convict the sin of, you know, like the Bible says, but this idea of 
the regeneration has to uh, occur before faith, which is uh, nowhere taught in the Bible. Because right. being born again is one of the benefits of being in Christ. Yeah. You know, it's not something that is a prerequisite for believing in, in giving your allegiance to Christ. It's uh, it, it's kinship language, and being a part of the divine lineage is one of the benefits. Uh, you know, another way of saying born again that you know they use the, that's which is metaphorical. They use adoption, which is metaphorical. You know, mm-hmm. and that kind of it's all kinship language mm-hmm. and inheritance. You know, adoption and inheritance that's kinship language. Yeah. Uh, Paul talks about being a new creation. But you're that in Christ, and you're in Christ by faith. So. Right. So, but I think that Shana Q raises a really good question here, a really good point, which is if God determines everything as you're describing, uh, but I'm responsible, how, how, how does that, that seems like a problem. And so the point we're going to get to now is where that conversation continues. No, I've got follow ups to the first question. Right. <laughs> Actually, so we went off for a little bit, and you brought up Judas. And you brought right. up the that it seems like a logical contradiction because it is, in my, to my mind, a logical contradiction. And but you won't discuss with somebody who's a non-believer why that doesn't make sense. So how do you have a discussion with somebody who is somebody who thinks like you and and justify how that? Very makes simply, I'll sense. give you an example. I'll give you an example. I will okay. say to that person: Is the Bible your ultimate authority? And a Christian will say, yes, it is. I say, well, let's go, for instance, to Genesis chapter 50. The story of Joseph, you're familiar with it as well. Um, Joseph, so even if there's a logical contradiction, so you're well, saying uh, that God said that this is, yeah, you just need to give me a second because I'm trying yeah. to wrap my head around how you wonder, how you, how you think about things. Right. So you say that God's the foundation of logic and you can't have logic without God. Right. But God can do things that defy the foundations no. of logic? I would say it it is not illogical. There is a mystery involved. There are many things that God can do that I cannot do. And I don't know how that, because if I want you to do something, I must compel you. Right. But that's not how God does it. And I don't know how he does it. I don't know how God ensures that we behave away and we do it freely. I don't know how he got, does that. But like I say, if somebody wants to say that's a logical contradiction, I'll say, well, justify that without God. With a Christian, I'll go to scripture. And like I was saying, I, I would take them to Genesis 50, for instance. Joseph and his brothers. His, jo- his Joseph's uh, brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. He sure. becomes the prime minister of Egypt, head of all the food stores. There's a famine in Canaan. And um, Joseph's brothers go to, Can- or go to Egypt. They need food. And Joseph goes, hey, I'm your brother. And they flip out. They figure, they figure he's going to kill them because of what they did to him. Joseph doesn't kill him. And they figure it's because their father's still alive. You know, that's why he's not, um, he's not killing us, because our father's still alive. The father dies. They have well, to go back he love to... his youngest brother the most, too, when he took his youngest brother aside and he wanted right, to like, right. love Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so they went back after his father died, and now they're terrified that Joseph's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And Joseph says to them, am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So the question is, how can God mean an evil act? I'll ask that to a Christian. How can God mean an evil act? But then and the only gonna, way... Th- it's not even just about the act. I mean, I understand the portion about, you know, he he has an ultimate plan. Like, I understand the logic of that. Right. It's, it's, the, say, it's the saying, I love you and I want to save you, but you can only do it yourself, but only if I compel you. And also the things that you're about to do need to happen so you don't really have a choice. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things that need need to line up for that. To, can you understand right. how that what doesn't can, make sense in my 
Of course I can. Okay. But that is the Christian position. It's okay, so now this is this is the this is the first gold nugget of this thing that I really want to point out. Yeah. Shannon Q, I think. I think now Sai is my brother. I think he says that people that, uh, that that people say, well, if that's the way God is, the Calvinist way, then I would hate God. And he says, yeah, well, that's because you don't know God or whatever he says. Yeah. The thing about it is, I, I used to say stuff like that when I was like in my late teens, early twenties, and then I realized that is really foolish <laughs> because if it were to turn out, because I can't be a hundred percent on something like this. Yeah. So if it turned out I was wrong, I would be really confused, but I would not want to be in the position of saying that I hate God. Right. Right. So, so I don't say stuff like that. So point taken. However, the thing that's the gold nugget here is that Sai is trying to say that free will, he says it has some major logical problems with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then Shannon says, hold up. I'm trying, you're trying to go off on Joseph, but just hold up a second. I need to understand what you're saying here. It sounds like what you're saying is that if that God determines all this, but I'm still responsible, how can it be that God determines and I'm free and responsible? That sounds illogical. Yeah, it sounds like a contradiction. And he says, well, it, it, he says, I know that the unbeliever is going to say that, but I would say it's not illogical. And she's like, I know it. I think it's illogical, yeah. right? And then, so right. he's on the one hand saying, he's yeah. on the one hand saying over here, free will has some major logical problems, and then presents a logical problem for his position yeah. without articulating what and he thinks the logical problem. I don't know how God uh, can determine that we do everything and that we have free will to do it. So he, he's saying that free will has a lot of logical problems. God doesn't have any logical problems except he has a logical problem because he gave us free will and it's a mystery how that works. Yeah, and he chalks it up to mystery. Yeah, but if it's even if you chalk it up to mystery, you can't say that we have the will to freely do things in a way that's mysterious if free will itself is... And this is why they won't debate Reforming American Ministries where they called it out. Because you can't say that... You can't, on the one hand, say free will has logical problems, but... God is the foundation of logic, and he never does anything illogical except use free will. But now it says it's magically not illogical. Right. You can't... This, it's a right. mess. It's the, just the, a complete the, the, mess. The, okay, so... Sorry. First of all... Sigh, it's a mess. He's calling it a mystery, but yeah. uh, I, I've done this a lot. I think this is really great. You've got, uh, you've got uh, paradoxes, you have mysteries, and then there are contradictions. A paradox is something that appears to be a contradiction until you understand what is being said. Yeah. I, I was I, I was crucified with Christ, yet I live. Okay, that sounds contradictory until so you understand what's being said there, and then you understand it's not. It's just, the language that's being used is not a contradiction. Yeah. A mystery is where there's nothing contradictory. We just don't have all the information that we would like to have. That used to be the case about the nature of the Messiah. That's the case about the Trinity. There are mysteries involved, but that doesn't mean that there's a contradiction. There's no contradiction. Um, a, a contradiction cannot be true. Right. Now, what I think is noteworthy here is he is affirming what can only be a contradiction, and at the point where he should accept that, instead of changing his doctrine, it's a mystery. Now, I don't... Hey, that Psy can believe whatever he wants to believe. The point I want to make about this is that Psy is not giving us what someone like uh, Guillermo Bignon, or however you say his name, <laughs> Guillaume, would say about this as a compatibilist. A compatibilist wouldn't say, I don't know how God does that. The compatibilist would say, I, I can tell you pretty well how God does that. He determines everything. Yeah. Well, then what's all this free will talk? Well, that's because you're, you, you know, that's compatible. And we call yeah, it free. In your phenomenological experience. You experience you, it as free. Right. And, right. and you're still responsible. 
And then some, and then where the discussion actually ha- happens among those kind of guys is, well, how can I be responsible if all is determined, which is really the question that Shannon saw right through to and wants to get to. And how can you be responsible if it was all determined? The Calvinists, many of the Calvinists that I've talked with, the high-minded Calvinists will just say, well, because that's the way it is, and you're just you're just intuiting that it shouldn't be that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, I, I, it's a mess. And Shannon, I'm sympathetic because she's right. It cannot be A and not A. You know, right. That's a, it, it is a contradiction. And appealing to mystery is hand-waving because you got called on it. And yeah. that's why a lot of other Calvinists don't run to mystery. Uh, James White, for example, said, no, we can explain within our yeah. framework how we, like you To said, his credit, yeah. Right, yeah. And, and so you, it's just, it, that's, a, that's a mess. I thought it was also funny how she must know that, like he, he has said before, like we said from the Dillahunty debate, I won't do Bible studies with non-believers. Right. She's like, okay, I get that. How would you explain this to someone and who is a believer? <laughs> yeah, and then he, yeah, and he's, then, but he wants to talk about Genesis fifty twenty anyway, right? Which has nothing whatever. It, I, I'll, yeah, Joseph, Joseph. Yeah, has so nothing what, whatever to do with compatibilism, or whatever. And he brought up Acts two twenty three, and he said, "See, God planned it, predetermined plan." And he forgot to say predetermined plan and foreknowledge. And guess what? I have predetermined plans, and even I have foreknowledge based on guess is yeah it's god, much it's minimal compared yeah, to god but and yeah. it's minimal compared to god but even there's no there's no deterministic metaphysics there just like there is none in genesis 50:20 so how did, so explain to the people with jo- with joseph sold into slavery mm-hmm. you meant it for evil but god meant it for good how is that possible yeah if determinism is not see true? people no they, i'm asking you yeah, to break it out in the same way that people mean to bring that up to prove metaphysics and using my foreknowledge, knowing that they will, they, they intended that to prove determinism. I intended it to show that determinism is not there uh, to bring about the applause of many non-Calvinists. Mm-hmm. Same way. God can do the same way. He can know what's Yeah, he can take on. the horrible things that we do, and he's wise enough that he can yeah. still work the right. good things out of it. Yeah, they're, but they're going to say, it, it, John Piper's little video, it, he, did, he, he planned it, he intended it. Yeah, I intend the it. That I know are coming all the time too. But despite popular belief, you're not divine. And, and yeah, <laughs> and and I and I can't deterministically bring those things about through philosophical determinism, uh, which is uh, a, an idea about how providence works in theistic determinism. So yeah, uh, yeah I mean. There's nothing in there that you intended it for evil. God, there's nothing in there about God ordained this from eternity past. It's not in there. There's no evidence that that's what Moses was thinking. So what you've got here is... What you have is God knew and God purposed. And God doesn't have to determine for his purposes to be accomplished. But what you have in this video clip is... By determine, I mean he doesn't have to deterministically determine. You have Sai telling her... Um, okay, what I would tell you is you can't account for the foundations of logic, and he does the presuppositionalist thing that I agree with, but it's yeah. still a valid question, right? right? Um, but then he says what he would say to a believer is, well, then we just have to do a, let's go through Scripture, and I'll show you. Now, if what you're saying is, yeah, it kind of does seem like a contradiction, but I'm going to call that a mystery, and you walk Christians through that, then the position of presuppositionalism, which is supposed to be the one that gives you absolute Cartesian certainty, you're going to cause doubt if you're teaching other Christians the contradiction, right. or that this seems like a contradiction. Yeah. Is that too harsh to say? No. Okay. Fair enough. I'm ready. So I think there's a couple of reasons why we consider stealing to be wrong. One of the reasons that we would consider stealing to be wrong is because we 
evolved. <gasps> we evolved in a, a, a society. So we evolved uh, in groups. That's how we, we were best capable of survival. So because we were evolving within groups, how we treated each other was absolutely paramount to our survival. And because it was paramount to our survival, if we did things that were um, inconsistent with being beneficial to other in individuals within the group, so for example, stealing, something that would upset somebody else towards you, uh, that would cause a level of upheaval within the group that was beneficial to no one. And thus those people would be punished because it, they, they weren't essentially benefiting almost like the hive, right? So because those behaviors were inconsistent with the benefit of the groups, we were punished. We evolved to recognize that these things are beneficial. And because we recognize that they're beneficial and or are detrimental to our individual society survival, the relationships that we form and the group survival as a whole, we kind of invented laws around it and and established an innate sense of morality uh, based on those experiences. So us becoming a sociocultural species throughout time helped form our concepts of morality. And because, because we were capable cognitively of forming those moral concepts so that we could, so that we didn't, you know, kill each other and sleep with each other's wives and steal from each other. And we were able to work in cooperative functional groups that, and that was a, of a benefit to us. It, it kind of stuck and became innate and became kind of part of our our wiring. And we developed senses, really strong senses of empathy. And you can see that in other animals as well, that there's strong senses of empathy, particularly in group, in animals that travel in packs, but that, that have to work together in order to survive. And in the early stages of our, our species, we would have had to do that. And then as time went on, we kind of started to impose these as legal regulations so that societies kind of didn't dismantle. So that's what, that's why I would think it was bad to steal because I have empathy. Uh, it's, it was an evolutionary mechanism that benefited our survival and the survival of the group. It was detrimental to us not to, because we would have been ejected from the group or rejected from the group, which would have lowered our chances of survival. And because we're a social species that wants to and, and strives for relationships with one another, these are detrimental to those as well. So we get bad feelings about these things because they'll harm us, they'll harm our relationships, and they'll harm our groups. All right. Oh, well, the thing is, so all of those things that you cited as the reason why stealing is wrong, I'm going to ask you if those things are right or wrong. And it's just, again, moving the goal. Why, why is survival? Okay, let's do them individually. Why is survival of the group right? Because it benefits all individuals and it's impaired. And we as a species and as individuals are innately driven to want to survive. Yeah, okay. But wanting to survive and the rightness of survival are two different things. Why is it right? Why is, okay, is survival more important than justice? More important than justice? Yeah. I, is, I, see, because if the goal can be stipulated, anybody can stipulate their own. Because you can get somebody beside you who says, you know what, I, I think the earth is the most important and humans are maggots on the earth. There are people who have said that. I believe David Suzuki is a, a Canadian. Well, we know we're Canadian. I love David Suzuki. <laughs> 
But people, there have been environmentalists that say people on this earth should be exterminated. So the, right. the survival of the earth is more important than the survival of people. So if I say, why is stealing wrong? You say, so people can survive. I say, well, why is there survival of people right? Shouldn't they die so that the earth can survive? I so think I'm it all goes down to individual basics too, though. Like you don't, we're capable of empathy and we survive it in society. So even if you, you can drill it down to an individual, I want to thrive. I want to form relationships. I want to be content. So right. these stipulations that we build around our societies that we identify, I think, as morality and, and could debate. I've, I'm a moral subjectivist. I think that morality is subjective. I don't okay. think there's an objective morality. You just see that at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say that killing all of, killing Jews is, is horrible and wrong for a myriad of reasons that justify that decision. I'm justifying it because I don't want people to be harmed. I'm justifying it because it's poor for society. I'm justifying it because it's it's detrimental in a, in a myriad of ways that we know because and we, in this scenario we know because it's happened and it was atrocious. So we learned from that and we know that that's not what we want. We want something different and that different thing we can label as better. Is what the Nazis did absolutely morally wrong? That's uh, it. To my standards, it is absolutely. I'm not asking wrong. your standards. I'm asking if it's if it's wrong beyond your standards. Is raping wrong. children wrong beyond your standards, or is it just something you don't like? That is a hard question for me to answer. I would like to say yes. I want to say yes. Everything in me is screaming yes. Everything is screaming yes. However, I can't be intellectually honest. And and say objectively. Right. Yeah. Right. How do you like your, how do you like your worldview now? I still think it's fine because I. You're I, saying I, it's I, fine that you cannot say raping yeah. babies is objectively wrong. I can say that it is wrong. You you're, can't say it's objectively wrong. I can't say it's objectively wrong. That means that I can't say it's wrong. And no, you those can say you don't like it. Same. Okay. All well. right. So earlier in the show, I had mentioned that Sai kind of made a pretty big mess out of. Um, logic uh of trying to 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 resolve the determinism and free will issue shannon made an even bigger mess than that with the issue of morality and while we can credit her for biting the bullet on subjective morality she still stepped in every problem that comes with that that sai set for and sai did a masterful job of exposing that so well, and like I said, this is my praise for Sai. This was great. Mm -hmm. So well that she wanted to affirm everything that he was saying at the end about things being absolutely wrong. Everything was screaming out to say, yes, I want to say that. But then for the sake of intellectual con uh, consistency, she said, ultimately, I can't and conceded the entire point that... Raping, well, she didn't yeah. exactly concede it. She, she says, you're saying... She goes on to say, you're saying if it's not objective, then it's it's just a matter of opinion and or something like that. And I'm I'm not saying that, right? So she would say something like, no, it's it, this is one of those things that all of humanity agrees upon, and that's got to count for something. I'm putting a little bit of words in her mouth, but I'm trying to make the point that I think she was making. But the, the thing the thing I want to say about this is, uh, sh again, Shannon has been a wonderful human being to me, so I don't want to be too direct, but I will say this. I'm not really responding to Shannon. I'm responding to the baggage that comes along with any atheist 
who takes their atheism seriously and, like Shannon, to her credit, is trying to be consistent with it. This would happen with Cosmic Skeptic. This would happen with uh, Rationality Rules. This would happen with Sam Harris. This would happen with any skeptic or atheist who tries to Sam Harris defend objective morality just has no well it's all based on well-being which we know reduces to subjectivity right so so Matt Dillahunt he tries to say well it is subjective in an ultimate sense but it's like a game of chess within the game of chess there's an objective right or wrong move but that's just to say what if somebody doesn't care what the rules of chess are right it's yeah. still subjective yeah, right well, that, well that's why I'm saying all 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 uh, Desires for an objective morality independent of God have failed spectacularly. Yes, and yeah. all attempts to defend a meaningful subjective morality. But failed. I think she conceded that, well, I got to be intellectually consistent. I, I love that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, about so it. she did concede the argument. That and this, I want to say this she too. She ultimately doesn't like raping babies and killing Jews, but... Well, there goes our uh, monetization. But, <laughs> but the thing about it is, uh, I'm not even going to try to get them to monetize this, yeah. but the thing about it is... Uh, the the I think that Shannon Q thinks that's horrific as much as anybody else. Yeah, of course she does. The thing is, I th- that's the pro- that's precisely the problem. She says everything inside of me is screaming mm-hmm. that to want to say that it is objectively wrong. She's trying to square what I would say, and I know she doesn't agree with this. So I'm not trying to like do like sigh and say that you really do believe in God and hate God and all that. I'm not saying all that stuff, but I think she I think she intuits yeah. that morality is objective and that is objectively wrong on the one hand. And I think on the other hand, um, she's trying to be consistent with atheism and it just doesn't work. I love you, Shannon, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, and and Cy was is right when he Cy did a fantastic Yeah, job. when he was talking about look, do you believe in moral improvement? Okay. That Indicates that there's some standard by which you can measure improvement from from a lower standard to a higher yeah. one. Go take that all the way up. You you run into objective morality. And the reason why she's screaming, she wants to affirm it, is because I think what William Lane Craig says in debates is right. Deep down, you know it. Deep down, you know it. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's otherwise you're stuck with saying, well, I have opinion, and somebody else's, uh, in your opinion, somebody else's moral degradation could be their standard of moral improvement because you make up your own standard if you're a moral relativist or a subjectivist. Yeah, so, I, this is where I have sympathies with, yeah. if I understood him right, what Trent Doherty says about this. Trent Doherty doesn't like the moral argument, if I understand him correctly. But he says it's not even important because everyone knows what's right and wrong. Yeah. The question is, am I going to do what's right and wrong, right? That's really what's going on here. So, like, he says with abortion, for example, people know that abortion's wrong. It's, am I going to be pro-choice or pro-life in light of that? Now, I I realize, again, that's probably another issue where Shana would be like, no, but I I, I have sympathies with that. Is that morally right or wrong? If if the monetization wasn't gone before, it is now. So, okay, um... So, yeah, I, I think that what we have here in this discussion, and I thought he did a great job with the whole environmentalism because there really are people out there who will at least say, whether they believe it or not, will at least say, uh, yeah, the best thing would be to get rid of human beings and let the planet flourish. But that's a self-defeating position because if you are alive to make that claim, you don't believe it. <laughs> right. Yeah, you have already taken the first step, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, basically I think what we see here is... I mean, I don't mind them offering the idea, but you don't, since you, the person offering it doesn't believe it, it's a stupid idea. And so the, the, thing, the thing about it is, I think what we have here is the Calvinism, 
we have a guy in the, in the same debate. What I think is is interesting about this in the same well discussion. It's not really a debate. Uh, is Psy basically getting to the point of needing to affirm that he holds something that's contradictory yeah. and will not do it, and then Shannon getting to the point of needing to affirm that she holds something contradictory and will not do it. Right, and that I she think, really believes there's an objective standard, but can't bite the bullet. In now, now, what I want to say because yeah. everybody's going to be like, "Why didn't you clarify this?" I would much rather people be Calvinist Christians than atheist objectivists about morality. <laughs> I would much rather I would much rather you be a Calvinist Christian because I think that of the two errors, the one that has the most ramifications is Shannon's error. Yeah. Nevertheless, both are important. One for theological reasons and the consistency of the Christian message, and one. Uh, for soteriological issues, yeah, salvation wanna, issues. Right, and I want to say for all the non-Calvinists out there, you don't have to chunk presuppositionalism in total because you don't like Calvinism. Because, as you can see, it has its merits. Absolutely. And as a non-Calvinist, you get the best of both worlds where you don't have the illogical, nonsensical stuff about Cal... Sorry, Calvin. You don't have that stuff, all the problems of that at all. Yeah. And you have the best of what presuppositionalism could do that Psy did an excellent job when he's talking about morality. Because, I mean, the moral argument in itself is a, is a form of transcendental argument, too. So you're already kind of doing it anyway. But it, it's showing the lack of foundation and its implications... That's where presuppositionalism shines. I think Jeff Durbin does a good job on that kind of stuff as well. Uh, it, it just you, as a non-Calvinist Christian, which is most of us, because we're most most of us, you know, we're all the right Christians. Uh, don't toss. I'm sorry, you believe that, or you'd be a Calvinist. I believe that Calvinism is <laughs> right. False. And we love Calvinism for the most part. Yeah. Or well, no, that's not even right. I believe that pertinent issues. Related yeah. to what people think are most controversial about Calvinism are false. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that everything that is particular about Calvinism that can't be affirmed by any non-Calvinist is what's false. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and, but yeah, we love Calvinists. We love Calvinism as an idea to talk about. And, yeah. Let's do the thing. Yeah. We have Cal. We've had Calvinist professors at Trinity. We have a lot of Calvinist students. We yeah. have. We we love Calvinists. They're our friends. They're our brothers. We don't say what Sai said, that if it turns out that the Calvinists are right, we hate God. No, 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 no. None, none of that stuff, right? I'll be really confused, but... Uh, yeah, no, yeah. But, 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 you know, there's enough Calvinists critiquing other theologies. They can sit through us critiquing theirs. So. Hey, do you think that we're right, at least on some of this, and you'd like to help promote what we're doing here to respond to primarily YouTube atheists? Um, well, if you think that, we have actually had people come to Christ as a result of these episodes, if you want to see some testimonies like that, at least one is, and then one's a doubting Christian, one is a person that came to Christ uh, from the God Used Trinity Radio, you can go watch the trailer video on Trinity Radio's main page at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Still don't know how to change that. I'm sorry. And uh, But, you're the but star. if you want to do that, just go click in the top right-hand corner of the screen, or if you're listening by audio or you have YouTube Red where you don't get the thing at the top right-hand corner of your screen, go to uh, patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. And we greatly appreciate it. There's been a couple of new people that have become patrons lately, and we really, really do Fantastic. appreciate that. You're helping us more than you know. And um, most you know what I love about Patreon? What? Um, it has totally removed every complaint atheists can make about churches wanting money. Because yeah. you know what they're doing? 
Uh, atheists are now asking for your money too, right. so you don't have to feel bad about it anymore. They, they, that argument totally doesn't have any purchase anymore. So that, that, love it; it's great. Pa- thank you, Patreon. Praise the Lord. Yep. for Patreon, Patreon. And sure, we'll, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, also be sure to check out our other shows in the Trinity Commission: Bible Rowdown, Soteriology 101, and The Narrow Path. And we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. This is the last word. Sound Doctrine For a long time now, the claim of sound doctrine has been the evangelical free pass to be a complete jerk to other Christians. The idea of sound doctrine cannot be reduced to simply theological propositions. Biblical ethics and morality are also doctrines. In fact, when the Bible speaks of doctrine, it overwhelmingly speaks of behavioral matters. The message of the Bible is not simply to believe, but it is also to behave. Now, that doesn't mean you can't rebuke and thunder against grievous error. But when it comes to secondary and tertiary issues, there is a way that you are supposed to behave like a Christian. And if you can't behave like a Christian, and I have been guilty of this in the past, and many of you have probably been guilty of in the past, you actually don't have sound doctrine. So sound doctrine is not a free pass to act like a jerk to other Christians.